All right, everybody, good to see you. Those who are online, thank you wherever you are for tuning in, as well as everybody here at Legacy and our other physical locations. Welcome to Chase Oaks and to our series, Rebranding Christianity. And, you know, the series we started last week, and the idea of the series, uh, go back and watch if you didn't, or listen if you missed it, but the whole idea of the series about rebranding Christianity is not actually about hiring a bunch of consultants and coming up with a new brand that says, man, we got to do something different because the emerging generations are repulsed by Christianity and increasingly the reputation of Christianity outside of Christians is, you know, going down the tubes. And so we got to come up with it. It's actually about going back 2000 years to the original brand, the original marching orders, the original mission that Jesus gave us when he said, this is how you will be known. And here's the passage in John 13. A new command I give you. This is the brand. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, are you getting this point? It's something about loving one another, right? But at a whole new level, as I have loved you, it's a Jesus kind of love, which can only be empowered by God. This is something we can't even do by ourselves. We need the power. And that's why it's so remarkable and why it will stick out if we are on brand. And the first thing people should think of when they think of a Christian, even if they're not one, especially if they're not one, is, wow, those are crazy people. They're nuts. Like, who does that? Who sacrifices like that? Who forgives like that? Who's that kind? Who's that welcoming? Who's that gracious? I mean, they just don't even think about themselves. I mean, anytime there's a chance to put themselves out for the sake of another person, they just, they're crazy. But man, I'm glad they're here. That's the way we should be known. But of course, that's not the way we're known. And that's a problem. And, and we can get defensive about that, or we can do what Jesus asked us to do, and that is just take responsibility and be the brand and get back to that. And today, um, we're going to talk about Kind of the problem and what's going on and how this happened. So the book is titled Rebranding Christianity. And then it says, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. That's the subtitle. Now, before I talk about the subtitle, <laughs> I have to apologize a little bit for last week. Because I said, hey, the book's coming out right now. If afford, like paying for a book because everything's expensive these days. And, you know, if, if you can't, uh, we, we want everybody to get a book that wants one. So I gave my email address and said, do that, and then we'll get a book to you. And I gave you an email address that doesn't exist. <laughs> so it, sound, it sounded so nice, right? You're like, oh, that's so nice. And then you tried it. It's like that jerk. So it's, it's not Jeff.Jones. That's what I said. It's just Jeff Jones, okay? So Jones at chaseoaks.org. You don't have to be smart to be a pastor. We all know that. So Jones at chaseoaks.org. And we'll find a way to get it to you. We won't ask any, quite anything. Like, we'd love to get it to you. But the subtitle, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way, today we're talking about that. Next week, we'll get into kind of the positive part, how to live this out according to the New Testament. Today we're talking about the problem. How did the world's most important brand lose its way? And what's going on there? And to bottom line it, how did the world's most important brand lose its way? What's mission drift and mission drift happens all the time. And it's the easiest thing in the world by the most well-meaning people ever. 
mission drift is always a play, always at work, and, it, and that's what has happened. And, and just to illustrate that a little bit, I remember years ago I was with my youngest son, Caleb. He was 12 years old then. And we were uh, at this little resort, ocean, and we took out a little Hobie cat, one of those little tiny sailboats. And we were out, and we were out pretty far, but we could still see the beach and see the land. And then we decided, hey, let's, uh, let's just swim a little bit, like get off the boat and swim. And, um, and you think the boat drifted away. You think that's, what, that's not what happened. So from us, because I had a rope. I'm not that dumb. And so I, so I, I had a, a rope. We were kind of swimming and snorkeling a little bit. But I didn't realize how much current there was taking us out to the ocean and away from land. And so after a while, I looked up and realized, holy moly, we're, how did we get this far out? You know, we got, and then there was a little storm coming in that made it worse. And so we, I mean, we got to get back in the boat. We were kind of panicking and we pulled the sail up. And when we did the mast that's connected to the boat, the, the piece that connects it fell off and went into the ocean. And we're like, Ah, you know, and so we're, unfortunately, Caleb is pretty good at this kind of stuff. And so he helped me. We, and we eventually, but we're still drifting, drifting, drifting farther and farther. We finagled it enough to get the sail to work. We eventually got back, but wow, that was, it was just, it was a panic moment for sure. And we're so glad to get back to the beach. But what's amazing to me about that is how quickly drift happens and you don't even know it. And you just wind up somewhere like, how did I get here? And we all experience that in life. You know, we start out something really clear and maybe it's your career or a year. You know, think, man, this is the year of whatever. And I'm going to be, and we start out really focused and clear. Or, or we start a new relationship like a marriage or a family or a company or whatever. Spiritual goals, we're super clear. And, and we are, and, we're, and we have the best of intentions. But then... We just start to drift. We don't even know it, but we drift and we wind up somewhere way different than we had planned. And that happens all the time. And you certainly see that with people who are devoted to God and, and people who claim to represent God. Happens all the time. Like an example in the Bible is this group of people that if you've been around Christianity, you've heard about them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus's day in Judaism, Jesus was Jewish, Jewish rabbi. And when he came, you know, people of God in the Old Testament era, the Pharisees were, the, were like some of the biggest religious leaders whose job it was to represent God's heart to people that he loved, to make it easy for people to connect to God because that's his heart. But guess what? By the time Jesus came, that's not what was going on. Now, when we hear Pharisee, we automatically think bad people. Like if I called you a Pharisee, you wouldn't say, oh, thanks. You'd be like, jerk email and then this, come on, you know, right. And, um, in, in fact, go ahead and let's just, when I say Pharisee, just say boo. Okay. Pharisee. Yeah, that's what we think. Now see, that's mean. And you should write the, you should read the book about loving people. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I was stupid, but, um, I won't do that on Sunday. It was a little trial run. It didn't work. So, um, but right. We think bad, but 2000 years ago, they would have thought, oh man, they're the best people. They're amazing people, Pharisees. They're like better than everybody. And their job, you know, in what they were trying to do had a good intent. They were trying to make it clear what it meant to follow God. Because the Old Testament law, 
like the Ten Commandments, was fairly vague. Like, keep the Sabbath day unique. Keep it set apart, like a day of rest and worship. Or, don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's like, okay, that sounds good, but what does that really mean? Like, how do you know if you're doing that? Like, can you do this on a, on a Sabbath day or not this? Or, if you say this word, is that taking Lord's name in vain? Or can you ever say his name? Or, you know, what does that mean? And so they just wanted to make it really clear. And over the years, they added hundreds of little mini laws to make it, try to make it clear. But it became like the tax code in America where nobody knows what it means, right? After a while, just so. And so Jesus is like, when he comes, he talks to me, he says, you're making it so hard. Like you're making it, you, you add all this stuff and you're weighing people down. There's no way anybody can try to know God. What are you doing? Like in Matthew 23, he says this to the Pharisees in these woe passages that go on. But here's one of the woes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. These were the people who were the gatekeepers. These were the people who were there to make it. I mean, God's heart is to connect. And he's saying, you've made it impossible for people to connect. Like you're doing the exact opposite of what you're there to do. And how did they drift that far? Well, mission drift just happens. There's currents working on us all the time. Then you come to the church, right? And over church history, what you'll see is this pattern of focus on the mission and being Jesus' people in this world and the brand of love and being the most loving people on the planet and focusing on the gospel, the good news about how God sent Jesus into this world so we could know him. And, and, we're gonna, and, and there's focus and then mission drift and then a time of correction and refocus and it goes on and and you can see these cycles. So one of the more extreme ones of mission drift among Christians is the Crusades. And the Crusaders, by the way, Crusader the, or Crusade comes from the Latin word for cross or crux is where it comes from. So these were the cross people. So they had crosses all over and they were the cross people. They were standing for Jesus and doing, yeah, that's what they were doing. And in their heart, for many of them, I think it really was in a good place. They were very misguided, huge mission drift. But they thought they were going to the Holy Land to take it back from the Muslims for Jesus. And if this is what Jesus wanted, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get God's land back and give it to him again. And we're going to, you know, and so that, and, and they were told by their religious leaders that if you did this, you'll, all your sins will be forgiven. And that was part of it, too. That's warped theology, but again, mission drift. And so they marched to the Holy Land. And on July 16th, in the First Crusade, July 16th, 1099, was a worship service at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And here's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's still there. This is it in modern day. Now, but it was there then in 1099. And they, throw, they do this worship service to celebrate what happened the day before and I believe it was one of God's least favorite worship services in history. I think it made him sick. I know it did. But they didn't know that. They were all pumped up. They were celebrating what happened the day before. Well, what happened the day before? July 15th, 1099. Well, 10,000 crusaders crashed through the walls of Jerusalem. 
defeat, you know, kill the Muslim soldiers that are there. They go to the Temple Mount, which is the foundation of the temple. The temple is not there anymore, the Old Testament temple. But they go to the Temple Mount. And there they find the estimates are anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000. So it's something in between that. 5,000 to 20,000 women, children, elderly, not soldiers, not armed, huddled together praying to Allah for mercy. And the crusaders were in no mood for mercy. And they killed all of them. And we have records of these crusaders glorying in their success and talking about how on the Temple Mount, after that slaughter, with like glory, like how blood literally flooded that huge plaza. On the way there, on the way to the walls of Jerusalem, they passed these Jewish settlements, and many of those were killed too. Because they believe that, well, Jews killed Jesus and we're going to kill them. And that's what happened on the 15th. And on the 16th, they have that worship service and glorify God. And he gave us the victory. And And I know that's extreme, extreme, extreme. But you look at that and think, wow, how does anybody drift that far? The cross people. I mean, the cross is all about laying down our lives for the sake of the other. How do you get to that? And I think it's a good example to use because it shows how far and how easily we can drift. And I believe the American church has been in a period, and it happens, well-meaning people, but in a period of mission drift, which is why we've lost touch of the brand lost such of the mission and are known for what we, the opposite of what we should be known for. And so I'm going to talk about some of those currents and drift. And as I, as I do, I do want to say this, that for you here at Chase Oaks, this is not going to be new for most of you. Like, if you've been in our church, we're, we're talking out of what God has been doing in the life of our church. Not perfectly, we've got a long way to go. But you're going to resonate with this. Most of you are going to resonate with this. It's not going to be like, oh, wow, I never heard that. I never thought about that. Because it's who we are. And the book is really a, a kind of a message to, to the wider church in America to try to change the conversation. Uh, to, I, I think, a more, I hope, a more healthy direction. But this is a direction we've already been going in. So like I said in one or two of the services last week, I should have put you as the author of the book. Rebranding Christianity by Chase Oaks Church. I didn't. It's already printed. It's too late. So, sorry. But, it's just out of who you are. And I, I couldn't write. And so when I talk to, right now I'm doing all these podcasts and radio shows, little TV shows, talking about this and talking about the book. And really, all I do there, I mean, I do some Bible stuff and then brag on you. And who you are in this community and what you're doing. And so, thank you for being that. That said, these currents in our culture are always working on us too. And they're impacting me, and they're probably impacting you, and they're impacting us. And so we need to be aware, and we need to call each other to stay on mission and to stay on brand because the currents are really strong, pushing us way away from where we'd ever really want to be. So let's talk about some of those currents. Um, The first one. Is being right. We talked about this a little bit last week, so I'll be short with it. Being right versus being loving. 
Like we said last week, Jesus didn't say, this is how people know you're my disciples. If you're more right than everybody else and let them know it and shut them up if they try to talk. Like, you know, you get your point across and you legislate your rightness and your morality and you, you, you're the right people. That's what you are. And as we said last week, that is tricky because we do have truth. And being right is a good thing to be. It's a lot better than being wrong. And the truth of Jesus is, as Romans 12 says, good and lovely and perfect. We want people to follow truth. We want people to do it. But it's, if you and I really care about that, then we'll prioritize being loving over being right in a way that makes people actually want to hear what we have to say. As opposed to being repulsed to what we say. It's like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, what he said is, hey, you can get everything right. But if you get love wrong, if you don't have love, then all we are is just a clanging symbol. Is that annoying? I'm going to do it some more. Without love, all we are is annoying. All we are is repulsive. With love, it actually creates curiosity, it creates thirst, like Paul said in Colossians 4. To relate in a way, to represent truth in a way that's seasoned with salt. Meaning it makes it taste good. It makes people thirsty for more. So the first one is being right over being loving. And that, that's happening all the time right now. The other, another one is politicizing Christianity versus representing King Jesus. And boy, is that mission drift. And it's devastating to the mission. Politicizing Christianity versus representing King Jesus. When I talk about representing King Jesus, that... If you're new to church, like, it's like, well, that's weird. King Jesus, like, what are you talking about? Kings and kingdoms? Because, you know, we're democracy and we're, but in the Bible, that's what the, it's what Jesus uses. That he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he's God. And he represents the kingdom of kingdom above all the kingdoms of this world. Like when he was talking to Pilate and Pilate said, well, are you a king? He's like, yeah, I'm a king. Just not like you're thinking. I'm a king above all kings. I'm a king of a kingdom that's not of this earth. He's, and that's who we are. When we begin a relationship with Jesus, our allegiance shifts to him. And we now, as his people, as his church, represent his kingdom as he is restoring his rule on this planet and redeeming and restoring all that is broken. And so, therefore, our primary citizenship isn't here. We're not here to create a Christian nation or we're not here to do. We're here to do something way bigger than that. So that's why Paul says in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's of course a sense in which we're citizens, and we should be good citizens, but we need to remember our identity is not here. Our identity is above all this stuff, is above. Um, that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We're citizens of heaven, ambassadors here. And America, as cool place as it is to live, is just one more nation on this earth, one of the kingdoms of this world. It is not God's people. It is not God's special nation. It is not that God has no geographic center on this place. Like, and I know that can be strange to think about because a lot of people are used to, no, this is a Christian nation and we've got to take America back and all that. And there's a chapter in the book that talks about how biblically that's just really messed up and I encourage you to read it. It's only biblically messed up, but it will get us off mission and off brand because it'll make us want to fight for to take America back. We never had it. And it's not what we're called to do. And it will lead us lots of wrong directions. And, it, and that's happening. 
And one of the ways it will lead us is to politicize Christianity. Is politicize the church. And what I mean by that is when we pick a side and we make that God side and we demonize the other side. And it's interesting because when you look at the evangelical church in America, what you'll find is if we lived in the Northwest or the Northeast, I was just talking with a pastor friend in Boston who was like, oh, yeah. Um, so this friend in Boston was like, hey, look around here. If I talk about Christians who are conservative, they would laugh at me. That you can't follow Jesus and be one of those. Right? Because what do you do? You choose a side and you demonize the other side. If you live in the South, which is where I'm from, so I get it. If you live in the South, if you live in the Midwest, it's the other way around, right? And most evangelicals live there. And so for most evangelicals, it's you pick the right and then you demonize people on the left. And either way, it's a huge mistake to put our identity in any political party, in any political person, in any political solution. That's not our hope and that's not our identity. We live above that. And as his church, yeah, it's great to be, I mean, have strong political opinions. Vote. You should vote. I mean, you should. You can't. And there's no perfect person to vote for. I get it. It's not, it's not what it's about. What I'm talking about, the problem is when we put our identity and our hope and give our brand away to any political party, left or right, or any political person. And here's some of the reasons that's a mistake. Uh, for one, when churches do that, a lot of churches do that. And they'll be like, yep, you got to vote that way. And that's our person. And that's, you know, or that's our whatever, either side. And um, what you do is essentially tell, I mean, we're here to reach everybody. You tell half the population in America, yeah, we don't want you. Not, you're not, not, uh, not you, because we're this. That's a problem. It's also misplaced hope, right? The, the solution is not that. Um, and when you give your brand and we pin our brand to anything other than Jesus, then what happens is it stains the brand because every political side, this side or this side has good, bad and ugly. The good. OK, good. But the bad and ugly, not so good. And that's what happened. Like through the 2020 election, I have a chapter in there about covid and the covid years and how that accelerated the repulsion of non-Christians away from Christians. And one of the reasons is we just said, hey, that's our that's our party. That's our person. And there was good, but also bad and ugly with that. And so then what for a whole generation, especially the younger generations, it's like, well, that's what Christianity is. No, thanks. Because of the bad and the ugly. And by and large, evangelicals picked one thing, but if they picked the other, it would have been just as bad. I'm, I'm not picking on right people. I'm not picking on it's be just as big a problem no matter which way you go. Does that make sense? Our identity is above all of it to King Jesus, and that's our allegiance. And we represent his kingdom to this earth. And, and we represent a community of people who have people on the left and people on the right. That is not what unites us. What unites us is something bigger than that. And that's what we're committed to. And there are some churches. I mean, if you want a church that is going to politicize the gospel and going to politicize Christianity, there's plenty of those to go around. But we're not one of them. And we're going to be really disappointing. Um, because we're just not, we refuse to do that, right? And, um, and I'll say that I'll hear people. I, 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 you know, you, you hear people talk and about churches like Chase Oaks or pastors like Jeff Jones. And I hear this in Dallas about like, well, you know, that he just doesn't stand for truth. 
doesn't stand, you know, won't, essentially won't pick a side and just say, this side's wrong, this side's right, you got to do, and that's, and he's not courageous enough to do that. Let me tell you, that is not courage. That's mission drift. It actually takes more courage not to do that. And by the way, it's not, we do stand for truth. We stand for the truth of the gospel, which is, again, above all that other stuff. And we will continue to do that. Because anything else is mission drift. And it's really not courageous, by the way, to collect a bunch of people who think just alike and then demonize the other side and talk badly about them. They're not even in the room. And you talk unfairly about them. That's not courage. That's cowardice. And it's not the way of Jesus. I didn't mean to say that, but it's all good to say. It. But anyway, so, that, so bottom line, we're not going to hitch our wagon to anybody but King Jesus, to any party but King Jesus. Anything else is huge mission drift. Another huge current is self-seeking versus self-sacrificing. The brand is love the way Jesus loved. In John 15, he repeats it and he adds the phrase, there's no greater love than when a person lays down his life for his friends. And the next day he would do that. He would die on the cross for the sins of the world, picturing the kind of radical love that he's talking about. And he's saying every, we need to think about that every time we think about radical love. That we are the people who lay down our lives for the sake of others. That's what we do. That is not a normal way to live. That is not easy to do. And the drift will be away from that. Especially when we are anxious. Especially in times of anxiety, in times of crisis, in times of transition like we live in. It'll be really easy to start focusing on us and our rights as Christians and our freedom rather than laying those down for the sake of others. We just had a test of that in the pandemic. I mean, thank God that's behind us, right? And... And I don't know if one will happen again or not, but I hope we do it better. I'm not talking about Chase Oaks, but I'm talking about overall as a church. Because it was a test to really show where we're at in American evangelicalism. And what was going to motivate us and how we were going to approach it. And there were huge, like there were, there were churches and, that did wonderful things. But that's not what got out there. What got out there was... People who was like, well, I'm not going to, we're not going to stop meeting. We're not going to wear a mask. You can't tell us what to do. We're not going to bow to government. We're not going to, you know, we've, we're going to fight for our rights. And we're going to keep meeting. And we're going to keep gathering. And we're going to keep doing that. And that's still going on. Like I, I mean, at least the rhetoric of it. I, I just spoke at, or just was on a podcast and listened to the podcast before me, like the person, the guest before me. And it was a person that I've known over the years. He's not a pastor, but a very prolific author, very well-known Christian, you know, kind of person, uh, influence person. And, um, and it was really interesting what he was saying before I got there, because it was very different. But he was saying, well, yeah, COVID was a test of leadership in the evangelical church, and we failed because these pastors just kowtowed to government and wouldn't fight for their rights and wouldn't stick up for their, like, you know, who's government to tell us we can't meet? And so many pastors, they just stopped meeting, just like government said, and we need real leadership. Right? Fighting for our rights and all that. And that's mission drift. 
Because the pandemic was the best opportunity in our lifetime to show, no, that's not who we are. We're people who prioritize something above our rights. We prioritize something above what we want to do. And that's love. Which says, I'm going to lay down my rights for the sake of you. For the sake of others. And as a church, that's what we, that's the way we didn't do it perfectly, but that's the way we made decisions. And we said, you know, what is the most loving thing to do? Because that's how we roll. That's our brand. That's what we're called to do. And if our government, if our, I mean, local authorities, most of them Christians anyway, if our local authorities are asking us to stop meeting, not just us, but every large gathering to stop, why would we say no to that? I mean, the whole idea, if you remember, was to flatten the curve because hospitals were filling up to protect the most vulnerable and just not meet in the largest meetings for a while. And that's a pretty easy thing to say yes to. And you know what we found when we did that? Is we didn't, we didn't like stop being the church. We started being the church in a whole new way because the church left the building. And it's not just, the church isn't just a building and it's not just about our large gathering. We knew we would get back to that. But this was an opportunity in a time of crisis to get out of the building and say to our community, we're here for you. And you guys did it. You rocked it. We raised actually millions of dollars, but hundreds of thousands of dollars to care for the biggest needs in our community in a time of crisis. And we, we were able to partner with the YMCA and give free child care to anybody, any essential worker who needed it all over the city. And you paid for that. Great sacrifice in a time of insecurity. As we came alongside hospitals, as we came alongside people with food insecurity and other, I thank you for being, because the reputation of Christianity grew in COVID in this area because of you. But that wasn't what people saw by and large. That wasn't what was highlighted by media. That wasn't what was out there. And so by and large, the church just seemed as just a self-focused group of people who just cared about themselves and their rights. Now, I know some of you have some tension right now. Remember, you used to love me last week. But uh, I know you have some tension because you think, wait a minute. I think it was more loving if we had met or if we didn't wear a mask or whatever. And hey, if your motive is love, then we're cool. But if your motive is self-protecting our rights and self-focus, that's mission drift. One more, because I don't think I've been in trouble enough. So we're going to do one more. And that is animated by fear versus animated by love. There's so much fear right now. And I would say especially among Christians. And that should never be said. We're not fear people. We're love people. But I get it. I mean, you look at the world and it's like, wow, where's it going? I mean, I've got grandkids now. And you think, I mean, sometimes I get caught up with fear, just thinking, where, where's this going? Where's this world? What's it going to be like for them? And I, so I understand fear. And, um, and, I, and people, Christians are throwing away truth. We're not doing that. That's what we're saying. And you think, oh, man, that makes me afraid. And you see the different things going on in culture and all this kind of stuff. And generations away from the church, you're like, ah, you know what's happening? And, and if we're animated by fear... This is a huge current, and it'll take us so quick away from what God wants for us, quicker than any other current. And again, it's just very prominent, because 
Fear will only take us bad places. And if you remember high school biology, some of you are trying to forget, I know, but if you remember high school biology, where will it take you? Either fight or flight, right? So let's talk about flight. So when we're animated by fear in this world that's going away from God and all this stuff and what's happening, then one way, to, one way fear expresses itself is, is flight, where we flee the world. And we make our own little bubble. And we may have to get out of the bubble to go to work or whatever, but other than that, we just try to stay in our own, create this own little Christian bubble. And it's kind of a safe haven against the big bad world. And we have Christian everything because we want to stay in the bubble. And in the bubble, it kind of becomes an echo chamber because we're just talking to each other about these people out there. And of course, we don't really know what they think, but we think we do. As we talk about how crazy they are or whatever, and, and we, so we stay in, which skews our view of the world. And rather than engaging the world, which is what we're told to do, we're told not to be of the world, but we are told to be in the world. We're sent into the world, into the world. And with the love and light of Jesus, we, we don't have to be afraid. When light and darkness collide, what wins? Light. Right? We need to go into need and into darkness and into all that. And we don't have to live in fear and stay in a little bubble. But it's easy to do. And there are churches that are just bubble churches. And there are Christian things that are just bubble Christian things. And, and you want to burst the bubble. You never want to live in the bubble. And by the way, it's a sick kind of Christianity that typically kids who grow up in a bubble don't stay with Christianity. Because it's gross. And they, they see it. Even though the intent of parents is good. They, I want to protect my kids. But it's just the wrong way to do it. So that's flight. And then there's fight. So fight is, well, we're going to win. We're right and we're going to win. We're going to take a country back or whatever. We're going to, you know, and all that. And we start to see our country not as a mission field, but a battlefield. And people who disagree with us as our enemy. And our job is to beat them. Our job is to win. And that's not the mission. That's, this culture is a mission field, not a battlefield. And when we enter into culture wars, the very people we, we're called to reach, we actually push away. I mean, there is a spiritual battle going on. But it's not humans. I mean, Paul said that. It's not about flesh and blood. It's not, other humans are not our enemy. Other, and even if they are, our job is to love them, Jesus said. But human beings are people we're called to reach. That we're called to love. And when we fight those we're called to reach, you know what? They don't feel the love. And they're pushed away when God is calling us to love and, and relate and, and to listen and to be respectful and to be gentle. Have a point of view. And share a point of view. But be the most respectful, gentle, humble. All these are Bible words that we're called to do relating to culture. But when we go into fight mode, we repel the people that God has called us to love and reach. And we don't want to do that. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul said this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We're not given a spirit of fear. And we start feeling that, we just need to say, God, give me the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Don't let this happen to me. 1 John 4, 8 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels some of the fear. All fear. All fear. 
Think about it. Perfect love expels all fear. When your child is in trouble in a dangerous place, they go into a cave. They're in a burning building. All this, you're not fear. Fear doesn't matter. Because all that motivates you is love. You're going into that cave. You're going into that building. And that's how God calls us to be in this world. Fear keeps us away from the people God calls us to reach. Love pushes that aside and says, oh no, you can't keep me away. And, and don't fall for fear. There are whole business models built around fear. We know that. Right? Social media models built around fear and anger. There are Christian business models built around fear. Fear is a great way to raise money. It's a great way to grow a crowd. But it is evil and it's not faith and it is counterproductive. And just... And, and, and this could work on any of us. And just don't let it happen. When we, when we get, find ourselves in fear mode, just remember, no, God, that's not the spirit you've given me. God, you give me the spirit of love and, 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 and just help me move toward the other, not castigate the other. And remember that it's not an us versus them world for Christians. It's us for them. And that acknowledgement that actually there's no us in them anyway. There's just us. Because we're all the same. We're all, all of us are just sinners in need of a Savior. Outrageously loved by God. So you feel the currents, right? And you can see how easily these currents would take us away as his people from the very brand that gave birth to it. I mean, it just so easily happened. So what do we do about this? Well, two things. One is arrest the drift. Meaning realize, hey, wait a minute. I don't think we're where we're supposed to be. Kind of like Caleb and I out on the water. You look up and you realize, ah, we got to get this sail back on and we got to figure out how to get back on track because we're, we've drifted. And as an American church, it's, it, I, I think that's just where we're at. And, and we need to acknowledge that. And in this wider movement, I hope you'll help do that. That's why, you know, we have a, a thing called our, our website, rebrainingchristianity.org. We're asking you as Chase Oakers, because you're people who get it, um, rebrandingchristianity.org. It's not jeffjones.org. It's not what's Jeff's latest thinking about the church. There's only a few people who care, right? So it's rebrandingchristianity.org because we're featuring other voices that God is raising up all over the country who are saying essentially the same thing. Because God is at work, I think, just bringing correction and helping us get back on track. Because... There's a lot at stake. The faith of the next generation is at stake. And so let's get back on track. And so it's just designed to help all of us. There's a, a podcast there, and we'll start featuring other voices and other people. There'll be other blogs and other things there. Let me encourage you. To, you can join the movement, and let me encourage you to do that, and you'll get information sent to you that way. It's rebrainingchristianity.org. And just be, to be part of the wider movement. And then for us, I think just be really honest with ourselves, when we find ourselves drifting, let's help each other. When you hear me say something that sounds like, oh, that's drifty, um, call me out on it. Because I, I, you don't know. Like, you just drift, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, and let's do that for each other. And, and I, think, I think our culture can also handle honesty about this a lot better than hypocrisy. Just, and it's been so interesting with the book already with non-Christian friends of mine. Like I, I wrote 
some of the book in Colorado and I have some friends there who don't, they don't know really that I'm a pastor. They don't, they know I'm a pastor, but they don't really know what that means. And they certainly don't know Chase Oaks and all that. It's, it was interesting being there and talking to some of them. And, and I remember we said, well, what are you writing? And I told this one guy and he's like, well, what's your brand? And I, I told him, you know, love this radical love. He's like, that's your brand. It's like, yeah, that's what, that's our brand. He's like, Wow. You've got a problem. <laughs> like, I know that. He said, nobody outside of Christianity would see that. I, I was like, I know. He said, well, you better write that book. I, we are. Well, I'm writing a book. And, and uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw him again and gave him a book because we have some advanced copies. And I said, hey, you know, thank you for. And we had the most incredible conversation. And what I found is the most enthusiastic people about the book are non-Christians. And because they've been hurt by church or confused by Christians. And it's just like, wow, we knew you stink. We didn't know you know you stink, and you're actually willing to do something about it. That's interesting. And so really, it has been. So let's... And then the other is to keep on paddling. And, and here's what I mean by that. And I, for this illustration, I owe another pastor, a guy named Andy uh, in Atlanta, Andy Stanley. And I thought, oh, that's a good illustration. I, wanna, I want us to end with this image. So I want you to picture yourself on a river with rapids. You're in a canoe. And as you're in the canoe and you come up on rapids, our instincts will be all wrong. Because our instincts will be like, oh, no. And we grab a side of the canoe and hold on for dear life. And if you just grab a side, you know what you're going to do? You're going in. Because you're imbalanced. You're not going to make it. And that's what is happening all over the place right now. Right in a time of crisis and a time of anxiety, Christians grabbing sides, getting mad at people on the other side. And, all, and that's what our culture's doing. And not just Christians, everybody's doing it. And that's not the way to get through the rapids. You know the way to get through the rapids? Is you paddle. And you paddle, the more, bigger they are, the more you paddle. And what does that mean? Paddling means what Jesus said. This is the way people know you're my disciples. If you love the way I've loved. So you know what? We just love. And we love bigger, and we love bigger, and we love bigger. And the more crazy things get, we know what to do. We lean into love, and we, we just paddle harder and paddle harder and not get distracted by this other stuff. And when we find ourselves becoming afraid and animated by fear, we just grab the paddle and say, oh, no, not me, not Chase Oaks. We're going to just keep loving. We're going to lean in. We're going to help each other do that. When we find ourselves wanting to be self-protective or self-interested or protect our, our rights or whatever, like, no, that's not what we do. We give up those for other people. We're going to just, we're going to love. And we're not going to politicize the gospel. We're not going to choose a side and grab on because that's a recipe for disaster. We're going to honor both sides and realize we're, we live above all that anyway. And that's where our hope is. And we're just going to keep paddling and we're going to love. And we're going to be God's people, the most loving people on the planet. That yes, we'll point people to the most wonderful truth in the world. And we will be the good news in a way that we can share the good news in a way that people want to hear it. Can we help each other do that? Let's pray. I know God will help us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your patience with us, even as we talk about the American church and all this kind of... I, you love your church. You say that we're your bride, that you're working to make beautiful. And so, Father, I pray that you would work to make us beautiful, that we'd be open to you. And as Chase Oaks Church, God, would you help us to, to continue to live into the brand as you gave it and to be your people here 
to be the good news that shares the good news and can be your movement of love right here in Collin County. And Father, I pray that this would continue to spread and there would be a, a time of correction in your church and that we can win over a skeptical world and, and impact a generation to come that is walking away. Because we know that everything people need in our culture can only be found in you. And as you know, our culture is not doing well. 50,000 people ended their life this, this past year. Hopeless. And the only hope is in you. So God, would you help us to represent that well? In Jesus' name, amen.